Today, we are here with Jesse Driftwood, who is back. You haven't been here for a while, Jesse. Thanks thanks for coming. I've been trying to get you forever. We have so much to talk about. I can't believe it took you know this what's long. funny? I thought I was going to say, I've never been on the show. That's not You've true. You've been we on the show with one, with Armando. one and a quarter times, one and a half yeah. times. Yeah. yeah. Well, I feel like this is this is a good time to bring you back, though. Like This is a bit full circle of the narrative of your story on the podcast, which that Armando episode, we were talking about both being ready to get the C200, ready to upgrade. And now we did both just upgrade to the C70. I don't think we talked about C200 in between because you weren't on after we had them. So it would be good to catch up on that a little, a bit of a retrospective. But most of all, C70. That's what I want to hit on today. Um, What's it been like so far? What have you learned using it? Are you happy with it? Are you going to sell it right away? Um, No. I don't know. Everything C70. And then at the end of the episode, we'll go off topic a bit, but let's uh, Um, let's start with this. Yeah, I pre-ordered day one. Uh, As soon as I saw it, I was I just, I knew it was pretty much everything I wanted um, from a camera, which is that I loved shooting on cinema cameras from my days actually doing, you know, not mostly just social media content. I I loved using cinema cameras for everything they offered, right? You know, unlimited record time and good battery life and much better image quality, all sorts of things. Um, But they're so big. They're so big and annoying. And I saw the C70 and then hearing that it was more or less the image out of a C300 Mark III in a body that's maybe smaller than a 1DX with all the connectivity that I need, I was sold right away, you know? And I'm not so like obsessed with pursuing ultimate picture quality necessarily not to knock this at all it's amazing picture quality but i wasn't worried that it was going to be bad picture quality or that my work would suffer if i didn't instead get a komodo so specs i wanted size was pretty close to good uh so i uh, pre-ordered it day one and i've been using it since i wish i had done that too because it took me forever to get it basically once i was when I was ready to pull the trigger was in December. I was waiting for uh, our credit card to like reset. There's like, you know, rollover date where it's like, okay, now you, now it's on the next month. So just like, okay, I want this to be on the next month's credit card bill. And uh, the camera that was sitting in the store disappeared in that day. So I wasn't able to get it. And then it took more than two more months to get it back in stock. So oh, that I had this very months. extended wait. Yeah, I was ready for it. Um, and it did take me a few days to talk myself into it, a few weeks, maybe even because like, Mm -hmm. I loved the idea of the Komodo. I mean, any listeners or viewers will know how much I wanted the Komodo to be my next camera. It is so great. Like it was, it is such an exciting camera. It still is. It's the one that inspired me the most when it was in my hand. Like it, it got, it was, it was thrilling in a way that, um, most physical cameras aren't. It feels like a Hasselblad. And the C70 doesn't have that effect on me. Like it's not, it doesn't feel sexy in my hand, but it was all about pragmatism. Like I'm looking at the list of like, what, what do each of these do? Like, massive battery life on the C70, better than the C200, better than, uh, I I think it's probably better than like the R5s and stuff too. Yeah. Um, Oh yeah, definitely. Insane record times because you can use SD media, you know, it's going to be able to plug into the more common card readers that I have. It's like, it's going to be, it's going to play more nicely with my Canon lenses. The autofocus is going to be a little more trustworthy at first. It's got that Canon speed booster adapter so that I'm going to be able to trust that full frame feature that, you know, there are ways of modifying the 
uh, Komodo to do that, but they're not first party. So like, there's just all these details. And I'm like, this is really adding up to, this is telling me what I should do here. Yeah. So uh, yeah, in the end, I, that's, that's what I pulled the trigger on and absolutely no regrets. I think it, it was the right thing. And by the way, they're, they're, we both have them physically with us. So audio listeners, this is incentive for you to, to watch this on YouTube if you feel like it. Won't be necessary, but I can cut to extreme close-ups of this C70 that is right beside me so you can see what it's doing. And uh, meanwhile, yeah, uh, Jesse can show you the body. Um, but let's, uh, I kind of want to, I kind of want to like cover like everything that anybody might want to know if they don't, mm-hmm. it, it, actually, if they just got this camera and they're trying to figure it out or if they're not sure if this is the camera for them. I'm like hit on all those points that we've discovered along the way of, of using yep. it. Um, first of all, quick retrospective. How did the C200 work out for you? Like, how did it turn out as, as a camera that you needed in your life? I I had a love-hate relationship with it. The, I had autofocus issues on mine, so that was kind of an annoying. It would it would pretty consistently back focus, so it wouldn't hit my ear or my eyes. It would hit my ears. And that kind of killed my experience overall because, you know, I was rarely using the autofocus of it, which is one of the big things that I you know, that I use on every shoot. Um, and the 8-bit is fine out of that camera, but I just, I did not love C-Log3 uh, in 8-bit on it. So when I finally started to actually experiment with shooting RAW on it, that's when I started to actually love the camera because the, yeah. the RAW images are stunning. They're significantly better than the 8-bit in my opinion. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, that's part of my issue so is that bag. the 8-bit, the 8-bit is also like, very compromised more so than the eight bit mm-hmm. even on the r there are things about the color matrix like the way colors work eight bit on the c200 some colors are weird and kind of wrong like yeah. if there's a saturated cyan or certain magentas they'll like radically shift they'll go completely wrong in eight bit and raw that does not happen like the the mapping of color tones is different in in eight bit and inaccurate like it's it can be very weird um and so I'm really surprised how often I hear about people that are only using the C200 as an 8-bit camera. That's really common, actually. And we're, that's what I'm shooting on right now. It's what you're seeing. Um, but that's crazy to me. Like, the, all everything good about this is the RAW. That's why, that's why it's a yeah. great camera to me. Um, and if you skip shooting RAW on it, like, don't bother. Just don't even think about the C200. Um, yeah, did you I mean, have you problems whatever, with... One for cheap. But did you have problems with the noise overall? Like, a lot of people have... Uh, complained and struggled with well, in, the in raw, noise floor. Yeah. yeah, yeah, in raw, you know, I shoot a lot of stuff with this gray background behind me here. And even when I would like the whole scene in raw 800 ISO, I was like, I wish that was just a bit less grainy. So I started experimenting with shooting at like 400 and 200 ISO, which I had always just avoided on cinema cameras. I was like staying at the native, wouldn't drop mm-hmm. below. And then I decided I would actually do some tests myself. And that's when I started shooting 400, 200 ISO in my own studio lit shots. Uh, And then the noise wasn't such an issue. And I found if I was out shooting in the city at nighttime, you know, an actual dark environment, the noise doesn't really bother me there. The noise bothers me when it's an environment that I have full control over. Yeah. And I should be fine. Be noisy. Yeah. Yeah. Did you intentionally overexpose it? Like I always aim for at least one full stop over, uh, more so one and a half, like one and a half is the sweet spot for me as long as the highlights aren't clipping. Um, but if I ever expose it correctly, when I get the footage home, I look at it and I'm like, Oh, 
I underexposed it because now the noise is crazy. And I think a lot of people were only shooting it that way. They're shooting it correctly. So they're like, oh, the noise is out of control and this is unusable. Um, but to me, it's yeah, just that you just have to rate it. the right camera. Yeah. Yeah, you have to. And that to. took some learning for me too. Yeah. So I was, I, I just didn't do the tests at first that I needed to, both in the 8-bit or the RAW. I pretty much, I bought it and I had projects and stuff. I just started shooting with it. And I had experience with the C100 and the C100 Mark II. I had used the C300. So I just, I, I didn't second guess myself to start shooting on it without testing it. Um, but then as these image, I'll say, issues or whatever were coming up after i don't know like a year i finally decided i'm going to run some tests and see when i like the images and when i don't like the images and that pushed me towards liking the camera more again yeah i I mean i never didn't like it but it's so worth spending that time that like talking about the testing Mm -hmm. anybody out there when you get a new camera it's it's good to watch other people's reviews. Like definitely watch our reviews for sure. Like watch all the camera tests that we do. Lincoln, but bio. you have to do, yeah yeah you have to do these tests yourself though. You like if you don't go through the paces of like seeing what exposing to the right and to the left looks like and rating it at eight hundred ISO versus two hundred, you will hate yourself later you'll you know you'll be on a job and you'll back yourself into a corner i did the the video when i was talking about like how to expose your camera was when i had just gotten the c200 and i didn't realize how important the native iso rating was because it was my first cinema camera that i'd owned so i'm like yeah i know you should but whatever i don't know i didn't always i shot it like iso 200 and stuff and i was looking at the dynamic range from these raw images like this looks like crap like this isn't this looks like a r this is not a ton of extra stops then I realized like, oh, if you go anything below 800, the highlights just get crushed. They just disappear. Like you're throwing them yep. away. Um, so yeah, it's it's basically if you're shooting in a darker environment, that's when you lower the ISO, which is very it was, yes, counterintuitive. It was very but, backwards. Yeah. Counterintuitive yeah. experience. Um, but so in the so, end, you were enjoying the images that you got out of it. Like you did use yeah, raw, really like when I was seeing it on your channel, they were raw usually. Um, it depends on the video. So the Fuji X100V video, that was all shot in RAW. And actually, one thing that I found kind of magical about the C200 RAW files, which which just solidified me shooting RAW on that camera, which even though is probably a bad idea, was when I would even just apply my first Rec. 709 conversion LUT onto the, onto the RAW clip, the blacks were always pure black. And I don't mean zero mm-hmm. IRE. I mean, they were saturationless in a way that yes. the 8-bit never was the 8-bit images i always had to play with the shadows and you know roll off yeah. the saturation and try and fight it between magenta and the green but the raw images even if i messed up the white balance the black was black yeah no you're so, totally hitting on this thing i always had a hard time describing or really nailing down but what i loved about that that transform which i use like modifications of the alexa light i'm not sure what you used but much prefer them to the canon Mm -hmm. light the canon look looks more like technical like i see more separation in skin tones like magentas in the skin will pop so if somebody has great example if they have a pimple it will be more red and more separated whereas the alexa light will smooth out that contrast of the skin a lot more but the yeah what i loved is that it was like it just looked clean and correct when you first transformed it and every camera i had ever worked with before that was like you transform it and you're like okay now i'll figure out how to fix it right like now what yeah yeah 
And this was the first time I was like, oh, it just looks right. Like this is what it, this is what an image should look like. Yeah. Um, I've just, I've grown very addicted to that. I absolutely love it. And the other thing I loved before we move on to C70 is that as you bring the exposure down, so like I said, it exposed by about one and a half stops over. As I slide the raw exposure down, has to be the raw exposure slider. It can't be um, just like the curves in Final Cut or something. It needs to be like, so I'd yeah. use Resolve. Um, as I slide it down, the density and like the thickness of the image, the image would like, it felt like it was like filling up with color. Like it would become richer and and the the mids and the, the lower um, lower mids would just become like appropriately saturated. I don't even know really how to describe it, but like as you would lower it, the saturation would feel correct. And if you do this with 8-bit files or, or even 10-bit, you know, take uh, C-log files from the the Canon R5 or a Sony or whatever, um, bring them down. And those, the highlights will just like instantly start to lose saturation and you'll realize you're only really bringing down the mids and something weird will happen yeah, to the blacks. Absolutely. Like it doesn't feel right as you lower the exposure and it just right. feels so, so like if you imagine you overexposing your skin's like lost its saturation, the annoying thing was yeah. you'd, you'd try and pull it back and it never became skin like it would look like had you exposed it lower right it was always like yeah, yeah. it's not clipped but it didn't have saturation or texture it was very very bizarre yeah so this is all actually great context to set us up for the c70 because maybe this will be the jumping off point my my biggest disappointment before even buying a c70 i'd seen this from other people's tests so i'm aware of it that's where we lose the quality giving up raw um yeah I I wish the C70 could do like that would be that'd be really nice. There was no part of me that's surprised that it can't. Like you couldn't do it to the SD cards. This is not what this camera is supposed to be. It wouldn't make any sense. Um, but what you lose is the saturation in those overexposed areas. So in the direct comparisons next to the C300 Mark III, it's like when your sky is right on the edge of clipping, like it's really bright. In the C300, you can, if you're shooting raw, you can pull back those highlights and they still feel very blue. It's still held on to that saturation. And so many of the tests, I want to do a video just telling people they're testing cameras wrong. <laughs> when I yeah. see people doing the tests, it's like, okay, you shot, maybe you shot a scene with relatively high dynamic range, but did you try to recover those highlights at all? You just left them kind of floating at the top. And the issue for me is that I want to be able to pull them back down, right? So, I, okay, let me target the blues and bring that blue back in so that we don't have this clip fe clipping feeling to the sky. Um, and that's something we're giving up a bit in the C70 because the 10-bit raw thing, that's where it starts to fall apart a little bit. So yeah. Uh, but the, the, so biggest question, biggest thing, I, I want to know what you've been doing and that I still need to do more tests on. How have you been exposing the C70? How have you been shooting with it? Uh, I've done the same thing again. I've been pretty lazy about it. <laughs> but more recently, I've actually been. What did I just say? Learning, I thought I, I said everybody no, just. I've been learning okay. Canon's ahead, implementation of false color on this camera, which has been quite yes. helpful because now they do their colors a little bit differently. Um, so even as recently as this week, I was finally just giving in and using the false colors on the monitor, which is what a great feature. And I've just been trying to use Canon's general guideline for exposure on C Log 2 on these cameras. And I think it's like this gray right before it hits pink i might have the colors wrong right now uh for skin tone anyways in a yeah. you know in a youtube environment right it's not a mood it's just my skin <laughs> yeah it's so it uses the same um 
false color mapping as Alexa's do. Like that's where I got that pink green oh. thing and I actually really dislike that map. So on, I don't know if you use external monitors ever, but you, um, other monitors have had different maps. So I had seen what else it can look like before. And what's really nice is if you map it on, like, do you use external monitors or not so much? I don't imagine you using them. If I need yeah. It. You're, yeah, usually a smaller rig kind of guy. But if you throw a small HD on there, for example, you can create your own map. And I was just working on this the other day so that I've got things like a few different shades of green for the skin tones so that I can see like, here's what underexposed by one stop on skin looks like. Here's correctly exposed and here's one stop over on the skin. Uh, and the reason this is so helpful is now you see those ratios because if a this is like so in the weeds <laughs> when false color the one that we're talking about that's built into the camera yeah. as it like moves through the scene you just see a sliver of false color like passing over objects right if you hold up a gray card this is kind of how you'd use this you hold up the gray card and you'd see the gray card filled with like okay 18% gray is supposed to be all green so now i know my key light is set correctly but in uh, if there's a human in front of the camera, it's just this little bit of green and pink and yellow like yes. moving through the scene very subtly, these little slivers. And that's it doesn't represent ratios. So I find it way more helpful to have ah, a false color that like point. you can see, especially seeing that like what is one stop under, what is one stop over. Right, because you can visually then, see the ratio, yeah. Totally, yeah. That's You're like, so cool. oh, now my back wall is down a little, which I always want. Right. You know, I always want the wall behind yeah. me to be a little lower than I am. And maybe my highlight, I always like to be one over or whatever your preferences are. You can just spot it every time, and especially if you're trying to match shots in a scene. You can see that whole scene's image ratio. So it's like, okay, we needed to do a re reverse shot and match that lighting. Uh, turning on the false color suddenly shows you like, oh, all the ratios line up, even though we moved lights, you know, a few feet in every direction, you can see that relationship of just by glancing at the colors. So Tyler, you're about to sell me on a monitor right now. <laughs> I mean, a monitor we is a big thing to carry around to do that. But, we uh, have director's yeah. monitors here and just old monitors from the years. There's four of us functionally that outside of pandemic work here full time. So everyone's gear is here. So there's just stuff at our disposal. So sometimes I'll use great monitors and sometimes I'm on a, Oh, we've got an old Aperture, I don't know, VS5, V5. Oh, no. I don't know. They don't do those anymore. Does Aperture still make no, monitors? No. I feel like they stopped, yeah. No, it's old. I mean, it's it's not a great monitor. It's very damaged. <laughs> well, does it have so false color? That's all that matters. But but I also, really important that. difference between the C70 and C200 is the C200 couldn't output C-Log2. This killed me. Like you couldn't preview yes. the actual image that you're shooting. So if I sent yep, that signal right. out to an external monitor, my false color was completely useless, like literally useless. It was that's all wrong. People complained about for oh. that since the dawn of that camera. I'm I'm surprised yeah. Canon has a company that at least has done, you know, good firmware updates. They're not anti-firmware update. I'm surprised that didn't get fixed because I don't think that encroached no, on other I cameras get i get why they didn't add 10 bit i understand it it's annoying and probably stupid but i understand it not fixing that c log 2 monitoring was just weird very weird yeah no it really drove me crazy but it, i feel like it was like niche enough i i hear enough people complaining about it that i really expected it to change mm -hmm. um, most people were more saying they wanted 10 bit which i'm not surprised didn't happen. no i'm not surprised about that um but we've got 10 bit now um, on everything. I, I, yeah. Like, so overall as these files come in and you're exposing it, uh, 
to false. You're, you're, you're basically exposing it like the way Canon recommends if you're using false color, which is good. Yeah, more or less. Um, and do you find you're adjusting it much in post? Is it basically the way you want out of the box? I'd say 90% of the time, I just use now Canon's supplied C-Log2 conversion LUT. I throw mm-hmm. it on and I'm just happy. I will sure. still end up doing a grade afterwards. But I even in this video, I'm sure there's whole sections I forgot to grade. And it's just <laughs> the conversion LUT right. straight onto the footage. But if I have already exported the video, let's say, and I'm re-watching it before upload and I notice, oh, you know, my grade adjustment layer wasn't on top of that section of clips, mm-hmm. I won't go back and fix it. Yeah. It's I've still, been a little tempted to enough. like, I, I'm more okay now kind of bypassing that. But I am, I am, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm working on my, my LUT strategy. I want to do like some serious testing this year and really Make like- some and I'll buy them. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Um, Because I feel like there's so much potential in Mm -hmm. what you can extract from this, especially because, you know, if you do that uh, color, what's called color space transform and resolve, the amount of similarities you can get to Alexa footage, like it's remarkable, you know, it really, yeah can get so close. So any of those Alexa LUTs start to like, just feel like an Alexa in a way that's very exciting for somebody that's been just uh, you know a tiny fraction of that amount of money on their camera. So, um, Heather, I'm glad I don't have my any friend li- because I <laughs> I don't I don't want to do all this work, but I want. This is the images. fun part. Uh, oh, okay. Well, sometimes it's fun. Fun is. I think it's. I would recommend you to explore the Alexa LUT a little bit more. I'll send you. I'll send you the modified oh, one to. that that I have. Yeah, I'll send you mine, um, and it's like just based off of it, but recalibrated because they're not quite the same and it's it's nicer i promise it's a little nicer well that, this is exactly why i'm glad you're my friend because i don't want to research <laughs> which alexa just say tyler what's the best one i'll do that that's what I'm i here trust for. you because well i trust you because you're you know what you're talking about and your images look great because sometimes oh, people online <laughs> maybe they do know what they're yeah. talking about but if the image looks bad or lazy I, or sloppy then well how do i, I hate to you, say right? it and I'm glad that none of those people are listening, but yeah, it's true. Like sometimes you'd see like a really deep dive technically and you're like, but I don't like the way it turned out in the end. So yeah. what do I do with all this information? Yeah. Um, Throw it out. I'm going to, I'm going to turn to my left, look at this physical camera in real life. What else, what else have I been thinking about it? How do you feel about the actual body design? Um, first of all, this is made for you and I, because it has a vertical screw mount on it, I which I feel like everybody else talking about this sort of just makes it, they literally make a joke about it. They're like, oh, yes, and if you want to do that cheese ball vertical thing, like that trendy f- passing fad that'll go away any day now, uh, you know, right. we, th- well, we threw that in there as a joke. And I'm like, you, oh, God. it's just so I've, naive. I've like it's so unthoughtful. World. Yeah, I've flown around the world to shoot commercials for companies yeah. that they only wanted vertical. The entire project yeah. was yeah. shot vertically because they they need social media marketing more than they need TV commercials now. Yes, seriously. And it's like, this is real money in your pocket. And guess what? Anybody listening, you don't get paid less because it was vertical. Like your rate yeah. is the same. The, the, yeah. the, the budgets for online advertising are not less. Well, okay, they're less than TV. 
they're, but they're still like, they're not less than the yeah, range sure. that I'm in, you know, the commercial stuff that I do is yes. not TV anyway. So like, um, if I'm doing something for either they're going to, they're going to run it on YouTube or they're going to run it on their website, or they're going to run it on Instagram and Snapchat, and it should look as good. Um, yeah. the only argument not to use the real camera is that there's often an advantage of having that grittier, more realistic look yes, on social yeah. media. Um, but that's not the, the camera. That's another I mean, story. That's together, a different yeah. thing. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I mean, so I have you been the whole vertical thing? <laughs> I think it's funny. I understand that filmmakers like good, really quality story driven filmmakers that want to move people's emotions. I get why they think vertical video is, is stupid, but it's like, if you are all making, I don't know, like subway commercials, you, you don't get to, you don't get to just yeah. hate on vertical video because you're also doing jobs for money that you don't think are ideal or you don't think are great, whatever. It's, it's just, it is what it is. You want to make money doing the thing you there, love. <laughs> you're going to have to take some there, jobs that aren't there, awesome. There's no limit to how long I could complain about how ignorant the whole concept is of dismissing vertical. Like, do you, is, I'm speaking to figurative whoever's complained about this in the comments which there's plenty of them yeah. out there this i i'm Going sure all the listeners but it's like it's just so unthoughtful like do you know how many people are staring at their phone all day long they're holding it vertically they're not going to rotate their phone just because your art was shot in anamorphic like yep. and, and and it and it appears as the next slide in their instagram stories like yeah you want to convince instagram to go horizontal with their stories because of your artistic integrity like guess what nobody's going to change <laughs> their behavioral patterns and horizontal does not look better when somebody's holding the phone vertically it looks worse because it's not filling up any part of the screen it's a postage stamp all of a sudden like the reality of use is like you want to optimize for how people are using it. i think people are sad to see the shift towards vertical because they always imagined that everything they would ever shoot would end up in cinemas and guess what iphones have become very popular phones in general yep. um so that's just not reality People aren't looking at your phones in movie theaters and movie theaters are closing, Tyler, unfortunately. You really so. went in. That was wonderful. Oh, we can man. keep going if you want. But yeah, the, the vertical the vertical plate is actually handy. In particular, literally, I had to shoot a vertical time lapse in here recently, and I could just thread this uh the switch pod right into the bottom of it. Which yeah, even I, even thing, if I had a ball, thing. even yeah. if I had yeah. a ball head on this, right? It's not gonna it's not gonna hold up vertical. So if you have yep. to get a vertical shot, at least it'll balance on the tripod. It's a huge advantage. I mean, I had mounted the C200 vertically a bunch of times and it was a nightmare. Yep, it was same. like, yeah. it barely worked. It was so uncomfortable and like it always a little bit dangerous. You know what though? Um, Shooting handheld vertical on the C200 was wonderful. The, you actually, could flip yes, the display totally. into just a really great position that was forward yeah. of the handle right above the lens. It felt like you had an external monitor. I do have some bad things to say about vertical because I, I I, 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 so, okay, I want to walk back a, a tiny bit. And I think maybe you said this somewhere as well. Did like, you see a bunch of comments come in or something? No, no, no. <laughs> I don't know. Somebody, uh, Marco, if there's any great comments, put them up on the screen. <laughs> but uh, no, no, no. Uh, okay, so in, I can't see, I can't see what's happening in this live stream. By the way, this is being streamed yeah. live, anybody listening later. But if you look at the world, it does present itself horizontally to us. Absolutely. That is yep. our visual field. Uh, reconstructs the world into a more horizontal context. Um, you know, I, and I feel like what, what aspect ratio would you say that you actually see the world in? Like wh how, what feels the most real world to you? It, it right now, I mean, 
right now i have the way light is it's pretty wide but it's like it, it's like two i have i have quite a wide field of view uh, yeah well but it's also like do you, how much do you ignore the height i guess right. yeah two three five feels right i've i've been I've been enjoying 16 by nine a little more lately, actually, Um, especially noticing how many films are, what's the film version. It's like one eight five or something. I I don't remember the number that is, that's very close to 16 by nine and and is a traditional film ratio. And it's funny that we have this thing where we put black bars on everything to make it cinematic, but then you watch big budget cinematic as hell movies and they're basically 16 by nine. So, yeah. And I mean, back into the commercial world, the the rise of four by three popularity right now is astonishing. Totally. Like every yeah. new music video, every Ariana Grande music video right now is in four by three. Is it? I didn't. I didn't know that. But <laughs> yeah, it's it's it is everywhere. Yeah, I mean, and uh, is is the Batman is the Justice League remix uh, actually being released in four by three or square or whatever? I saw that it's like oh, I did not I'm, hear about that. The trailer I saw is in the like native IMAX 70 mil aspect ratio, which is very close to square. Like it looks like a square on your computer huh. screen. Wait, but, was that um, size just for anamorphic though? Like is that why? I don't, the, I, I don't know the, what the they were doing with that. Spe- okay. I don't know what they were doing with that specific one. I really was noticing, and we talked about this on the Tenet episode a lot, is that they cut back and forth between IMAX footage in the Blu-ray of that and you really see the difference of like 70 millimeter and then this other like 65 mil widescreen i think it's spherical it's Ugh, not anamorphic 65 millimeter but you see it you see the ratio jumping sometimes shot yes. to shot and i'm like why why didn't you just stick with what yeah. i don't know it's weird um but that was such a tangent shooting vertically on this thing uh did you assign the second record button to be record the waveform button or did you um, not do that no i I actually think I might have the waveform button right now to digital IS. Mm. I just always have the waveform on, more or less. Right. Oh, I see. Yeah. And you can toggle I've, it on and off from the touchscreen, so it's yes. Okay, touchscreen stuff is me. huge on this, and that is actually something that's hard to go back to with the C two hundred and and also with Canon R. So, do you even have an R anymore? Or are you just R five? I have an R six. Well, I have an R somewhere. six. I have okay, an R okay. and an R six. Yeah. The record button on the screen is surprisingly a game changer it sounds like nothing but a great example is like sometimes i'm putting the camera on a tripod i was doing this the other day and all the shots need to line up perfectly the camera can't move pressing a physical record button makes you much more likely to slightly twist the camera to slightly bump it and pressing the screen yeah yeah so i love that the whole new menu system on this touch screen for changing settings is Mm -hmm. astonishingly better than every other canon cinema camera yeah. It's so nice that you just touch the one little touchscreen button and it's like, here's 10 of your most recent. And then you can go into another touchscreen menu. And then there's that pages menu that kind of looks black magic designy. Yeah. Yeah. Which the crop good design. The, I love the way black magic so does it. Good. So yeah. yeah. Black magic might have the best, I think menus on a camera yeah. Yeah. that I've used anyways. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I haven't yeah, really so used this, one, but usability on the screen i think is is maybe my favorite thing about it it's top five for sure right no it's pretty good um how have the files been for you in editing are you shooting into long up or all i or um i i've been going back and forth between the um the hevc actually because i heard someone say that even though their 16 inch macbook couldn't handle the r5 uh h265 they said the C70 H265 played fine. Mm-hmm. And 
that sentence alone intrigued me enough to just start shooting in h265 to see if that would be the case um so i've been just jumping between different codecs quite frequently to see if i'm noticing much of a difference even in but you don't have well, an answer image yet? or in editing i don't have an answer yet it's okay. all of it has edited just fine on my macbook i have yet to have an issue what is your macbook uh, it's like late 2019 16 inch macbook it's it's pretty beefy it's the like full <clears throat> i9 64 gigs of ram it's it was an expensive macbook a year ago that is being yep. outperformed by 400 dollar ipads now <laughs> Well, can't run Final Cut in an iPad yet, but uh, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I'm on the uh, slightly older, mine's 2018, before the 16 inch, so mine's 15 inch, and the I've been so I'd been shooting the long op HEVC, um, but what you're saying makes me think I should try the H265 because yeah, R5 footage, this is like under talk, but with the R5, it just sucks to edit. Like it is so yeah. inconvenient and really slows it down your whole one life. One of the biggest reasons that I decided um, to switch away from the R5 in favor of the C70. So when I left the C200, it wasn't for another cinema camera. I just realized that so little of my work um, was requiring an actual cinema camera. And I would love to go back to just having one or two of the same body and I was hoping the R5 was going to be that. It was going to be great for video, great for photos. And the images in video, I loved them. I didn't even have an issue with C-Log most of the time. I could make mm -hmm. the images that I wanted because I found the shadows and the mids were so much cleaner than on the R that I could yeah. drop the exposure, lift it, and feel like I had the dynamic range I wanted. Mm -hmm. um, but editing the files just absolutely killed that camera for me. Yeah. Yep. Same the here. The way I, I often mean, make my, even my YouTube videos will be... Yeah. I'll shoot a scene and because I don't necessarily know what's next, I'll just start editing it. And in the editing process, I'm like, do you know what would be good next? And I'll go out and shoot that and I'll bring mm -hmm. it back. So the process is, it's not like I've shot all day. Here's my footage. Let's dump it. Let it convert. Um, so when I'm in a time crunch on an edit and I decide there's five shots that would just, just be awesome here and I go out and shoot them, I hated that I still had to bring them into Final Cut and create either proxies or optimized media in order to edit it. It was it, it just drove me nuts. Yeah, I um, ended up being in a situation where it's like proxies were mandatory. Um, mm -hmm. I almost like didn't even want to shoot 4K with it anymore. The thing that kind of keeps me... So yeah. I don't own an R... I didn't buy an R5 or an R6 after wanting one for a very long time because I... Be I try not to buy too many cameras. Like as much as I yeah. love them, I don't I love do it. putting a ton of money into them all the time because like I could just buy a camera every month if I like that's what I want to do and it wouldn't actually make my life that much better. Um so I think it's worth waiting and I did end up waiting so long that now I just still haven't upgraded and the um right. <laughs> and it's basically because like the R is just still so good for still for photography. Like the yeah, sensor great Great. sort of like peaked a little with the 5d mark four there isn't an important difference for stills with the others yeah, I agree. so all, all of the important differences are usability it feels yeah, much exactly. better to use autofocus joystick yeah yeah shooting experience um, the better. thing i love them for video though that like makes me want to still have one in my back pocket like that 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 plus a c70 is a better kit is that image stabilization is just so rock solid like yeah there it is are, so good yeah, there were professional shoots. The wobble. 
Well, yes, but there the are ways you can use I it. Just always keep it off. But yeah. that's when you're like you're like more vlogging, right? You're doing something super active. The things I mean, I'll use less, it for yeah. are like or had been using it for when I was boring it long term was like I would do um sort of like just push-ins and push-outs, right? Like little handheld dolly moves where I'm just like moving around. Yep. And as long as you're not doing anything weird, it just looks like a gimbal. Like it's it, yeah. you know, if if you're being solid, it will reinforce all of that and just feel totally smooth. Yep. And you can even step carefully like um you can get a lot of really and that just doesn't happen on the c70 even with the digital is like the digital yeah, is also sure. risky it can totally screw up a shot if you right they're like oopa, oopa, oopa. <laughs> yeah yeah it like targets oh yeah it. for those uh listeners oh that my was God. my hands going up and down because the <laughs> no no the, the sound effect covered it perfectly oh, yeah yeah what does yeah. it do oopa, oopa, oopa. that's it um so but you've been using it still like you use the digital is uh, occasionally just, just if I know I'm like running super fast and I, if I'm shooting out of a car window, something like that, right. I'll turn it on. Uh, and it hasn't ruined really anything had for any you issues yet? with that. No, I haven't had any okay. shots from the digital IS on the C70 ruin it for me, but I have seen have people been... give clear examples of it. I know it's a thing. Right. Yeah. I, I just did it on my first shoot for, mm. <laughs> and it was basically oh. that like, it was, uh, it was a, somebody holding a cell phone shot and I was like, okay, hey, I just got to get this one out real quick. So I didn't put a tripod down. I was doing it by hand. And it was like, it was that it was, yeah, just a hand holding a phone and bokeh in the background, all blur in the background. So it really wanted to track that hand right. and yeah, total wobble all behind it. So it's, yeah it's safest for wide shots, especially if everything's in focus. Like that's when yeah. you're going to be I okay. always assumed originally before I'd seen these issues that the digital IS was using some kind of gyro data in the camera yeah. and adjusting for it. I didn't realize that it was an image tracking like a, on the digital, obviously I know it's digital, but on the, like the final step of the chain, right? Right. Um, yeah. No, it's but, a weird effect. It's weird that that's what the effect is. It looks so yeah. crazy. But um, I, I would rather not have IBIS in the C70 than not have ND filters. So, Oh, my God. ND filters. Um, okay. Mm. This is so much of why I'll, I'll talk about why I chose the C70 and not, let's say, an A7S III or whatever else there mm. is out there. Or an FX3 um, or, yeah. Yeah. I feel like, you know, you can you can just match. You can match those cameras. Uh, specifically, like, let's say an a, I am thinking about A7S III. That's like the yeah. next lowest price camera that will probably get you about the same image quality. I know it's like, yeah, okay, Canon yeah. colors, Sony colors, whatever. The, the Sony's yeah. look amazing. You're splitting like, hairs. Look, you, could make, yeah. you could make them look identical, for sure. Totally. And look at somebody that's a good shooter and they're making beautiful work on these Sonys. Um, yeah. And in fact, the A7S would probably be sharper. <laughs> yeah, actually, totally. I mean, there are some advantages yeah. to it, I bet. Uh, the, the the killer for me is no NDs and no uh, XLR, no preamped mics, no like yes. always yeah. on board, be able to just plug it in thing. That is like, that's a, but that's huge for me. The more that I've spent time with internal NDs on the C200, the more I'm like, I never want to go back. I just, it's yeah. hard to. It, it is hard to just be like threading ND filters onto each lens and then thinking about step up rings and Sometimes you take the ND filter off of a lens that needed a step-up ring, but you didn't realize that the ring came with it. It's a, it's more of a hassle than it's worth most of the time, in well, my opinion. And the lens, I mean, the lens that's sitting on the uh, C70 in my hands right now is the 20 millimeter, the Sigma, Sigma 20. 20 yeah, 14. I use that lens all the time. I love this lens so much because um, you can get that it's super shallow Komodo depth of right field. 
Oh man, don't don't tease me with your Komodo talk. If you can get to that super shallow depth of field and it's um, you know, uh, great lens, whatever, all the reasons, but it's got the bulbous front of the lens and an integrated yep. lens hood, so you can't screw anything onto this. So to me, I was like, okay, so cool. I go get a uh Komodo or or an A7S3 or, or you know, any of these things that don't have an integrated um ND system and all of a sudden this is not a lens I can use outdoors like I can't shoot at yep. 1.4 I, I can't before the C70 I had never shot with um like shallow depth of field on that lens outside in full frame because I had it on the C200 and it's you know it's an okay lens on that as well but it's not the look of 20 millimeter yeah, 1.4 no. so the C70 with the adapter it's the first time I've really gotten to shoot video how I want anywhere I want with that lens mm-hmm. Totally same here. That's actually, I mean, it, this specific setup is so much of what I was excited for. And yeah, like yeah. the way I've got it right now, it does, it has the adapter on there, which took me a little while to get a hold of, but I feel like it's a little bit necessary accessories, so like add a thousand bucks if you're considering the C70. Um, yeah, that looks yeah, it's necessary. It's so good. It's so good. Um, yeah, I'm actually excited. I want to shoot some, uh, like some specific projects coming up soon that will involve late night adventure hiking with friends. Um, and I'm hoping to shoot the whole thing handheld on the C70 and the Sigma 20. It's just 20 millimeters is a really cool focal length that I don't think you see a whole lot of. You know, you yeah. see a lot of 16, you see a lot of 24, but that 20 range I think is, yeah, it's I don't know, it's spot. cool. And with such shallow depth of field, it's so versatile. You can get in close with people and have it feel intimate, but you can also shoot at night. I could shoot around a fire. Great lens. Well, so what's living on your C70 most of the time right now? Most of the time is the Sigma 20. Right now, there's a 16 to 35 on it, uh, the old Mark II one. Yeah, that's the one uh, and I that's just because I was going to shoot a bit of vloggy stuff on this. Or yeah, because I did shoot the vloggy stuff on this the other day. Uh, yeah, was your... Studio, um, almost always the 20. Was your... I guess that was your last video that I was just watching that had uh, your... Was your A-roll shot on that 16 to 35? Because I was looking uh, yes. at your... This, this is the Insta360 video. on it. No, I, well, what, yes, but no, no, what I was yeah. noticing was the oh. chromatic aberration off to the side mm-hmm. on, yeah, like, yeah, by yeah, a window, window side. and I'm like, yeah. oh yeah, that's totally that lens. Cause same thing, that lens, yeah. I've had it forever. I spent so much on it that I don't really want to sell it and lose a ton of money on it and buy a new one, mm-hmm. but it, uh, is not great <laughs> considering how expensive yeah. it is. It's like, there's a lot yeah. of, uh, uh, optical defect, defe- defects, defects. It's another um, reason so. that I, when I got rid of the R5, uh, and went to the C70 that I got an R6. Well, I also got a great deal uh, on my R6, and I got a package of stuff, like a North Face jacket. That was weird. Um, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but one of the reasons is that 15 to 35, I love it so much, and I, it's just not the same on the C70, right? Yeah. I, I yeah, loved yeah. having that 15 mil was so much better than this 16 to 35 is. Yes, so absolutely. I'm I don't okay think with using... Whatever. I don't think there was a great like ultra wide option for cannons until that it feels like, I, cause I don't yeah. think the 1635 Mark three was like way better either. I think it is still just fine. Well, I mean, yeah, the Mark three, I never had many issues with. I think they like that 11, oh, you had both? Okay. Um, right. no, I had just, I had borrowed that from Canon for a mm-hmm. while and I had mm-hmm. rented a couple times for weddings and stuff. Um, oh yeah. I think that 11 to 24 F4, I never got to use it, but people raved about that lens. So maybe that was the first good ultra wide. F4 just feels so I'm just so over F4. <laughs> like I need I'm so I, over. I, 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 all, 
I really want things to be blurry. Like I really remember do. when I, we were kind of just like knocking on pretentious cinematographers. And like, yeah, but I, and I, you got to be pretentious about something. Yeah. Right. Um, the what I am thinking, I kind of want to be my full time lens because on the C two hundred it was the eighteen thirty five. It just that was always on there because it just yeah it was right for most things most of the time. One point eight is about as fast as you can really get in any zoom. Um, but the funny thing is like the the depth of field. I, I did this on a few different conversion websites and I don't know what is really true, but it came out to be something like, uh, equivalent to like 24 millimeters at two point F 2.9, which is yeah. Yeah, not that, had that been my testing too. fast or shallow. <laughs> well, if you compared, I always, people thought about that. It's like, that's the 24 to 70 for if crop sensors. I'm like, it's mm. not, that's like a yeah. 28 to 50 F 2.9. Yeah, like it's pretty you, compromised. If you go from that on a C200 to, you know, an R on a 24 to 70, I'm not saying the image is better, but that focal range is more yeah. useful. It is a there better are, lens. There are bad things about that 1835. Like everybody kind of should buy one if you if you happen to need that range. It, it is very useful and I use it a lot. But I don't think people criticize it enough because one thing, the barrel distortion is the worst of any of the lenses that I use regularly. Whenever I set up A-roll shots and I have a table in it, if the table line is straight, you see a huge warp. You see it bowing up to the sides every time. And I'm like, nobody, this doesn't bother anybody else. Am I the only one that thinks this is not what a lens should be doing? Actually, it's what I'm If anyone asks, just say you shot an anamorphic. No, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's fair, but I like to, I don't know. It's not what I'm sh- like. Yeah. I don't get any of the benefits yeah, of animal. It's a different you know? thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I also just found that focal range kind of boring. Right. Yeah. So, well, what I'm thinking of doing also another boring focal length, I think what will end up being my full-time lens on here that I, I don't own yet, but uh, I'm probably going to do the 24 to 35 2.0 Sigma. What do you Interesting. think of that? Interesting. That's a yeah. lens that always, it did intrigue me. But so the reason I never tried it, it's super clean. Like it's Mm. very precise. It doesn't have that honker of a lens. Yeah. Yeah. It's chunky. It's sharp. It's super sharp. I can just shoot it 2.0 all the time. You know, 35 2.0, I will definitely on a, like a full frame modified, uh, sensor, um, will be pretty darn blurry. Uh, and part, I think the first time that got me thinking about it was that that's the main lens that, uh, Marquez uses for a roll hmm. shots. He uses the cinema version and, you know, you look at oh, the shots, yeah, it's right. like, that's clean. Like that's very, there's just nothing to say about it. It's like it, it, yeah. it the lens falls away, which is sometimes very appropriate. And I don't he, feel like I have, have enough lenses that are like on that. YouTube. It's just so clean. In, in you know terms what I mean? Of like YouTube image and cleanliness. Yeah. He's, it, he's yeah. got it nailed. And I've always you know been what, frustrated. Yeah. What? Well, <laughs> it is a bummer that this camera is an RF mount for the sake of RF lenses because that 28 to uh, 70. Yeah. Right. Could you imagine? I would take a 28 to 70 F2 over the sure. 2435 personally. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. And, um, and but, but the thing is, like, I like, I do think overall that RF is exactly what I want this to be because I have that oh, full yes. frame option. Agreed. Um, yeah, and I also imagine reason, Canon's going to make specific lenses for it. Yes, I sure hope so. I sure, I mean, I need Canon to start making some like compact primes. That is the big missing spot, in my opinion. There's the 35 1.8, which I have and is not great, uh, really bad vignetting and stuff. 
Um, but it's the right size. And it's like, okay, I'm glad I have that yeah. at least. A series of but those like, lenses would be good. Yeah, there but needs to be a whole they're, range. They're going to have to do crop sensor lenses. I think they will. Right. Yes. For I, RF will eventually. They? Yeah, so I guess so. I think they will. People have talked about it eventually doing, you know, a 7D type RF lens or camera. So it would make sense if they've got two crop sensor RF bodies mm-hmm. to make one or two crop lenses, if only just on the wide end, right? The the part yeah. of the range you yeah, can yeah, get yeah. in full frame. That, that's actually, okay, that will almost certainly happen and I hope it does. Um, yeah, a 10 to 20 else, or who knows. What else about the camera specifically before we like stray too far off? What am I, what am I not thinking? Oh, I mean, no, there's, I mean, there is so much to itself, it. Like I'm not running out of a, ideas, I, but... There's things that I love and despise about the body. So this is my first cinema camera ever that turns on like a 5D. Oh my God. That is so huge. It's, it's the best thing about this from a cinema camera standpoint, you just turn it on and you can shoot every other cinema camera. Like it's, this isn't a Canon thing. This is a Canon Panasonic, Sony, red Ari. They take time. They take 15, 20 seconds to, and that's probably on the fast end to boot up and be ready to shoot. This feels like a mirrorless camera. So that's amazing. Um, and usually people, what people off, say about that, rotating grip. people often just write that off as like, oh, it's a cinema camera. Like you're supposed to have to wait. That's just how these things work. Right. But you don't necessarily have to have to wait. Like that's not, I don't, I don't buy that. Right. Yeah. It's, and it, and it's like, it does make you shoot worse. You take less shots. You lose shots. Mm-hmm. Some of my favorite shots, even on commercial projects, were the shots that we saw at the last minute or we saw something happening from a, a different angle and you just want to grab a shot quickly. Even some like projects I've worked on that were on cinema cameras, some of my favorite shots came from a 5D Mark III and 7200 just because yeah. someone's like, oh, that'd be a cool shot, a cool detail. Bang. And they'll just punch in, boom, there's the image. You can't yeah. do that. Well, you couldn't before this. No, it totally. And even, even more than that, the thing that really sold it to me, like when I was testing this out before I I bought it was reviewing media as well. So as long as the camera is on, you, you hit the media button and almost instantly it's there. Like there, you know, there's a split second delay, but the C200, you turn it off. We have to turn it off. It takes like five seconds to power off. Yeah. (laughs) And then like five minutes to to turn back on. Yeah. So the whole process meant I almost never reviewed media on the C200. Actually, almost totally. never. I had one button set to review last clip just in case I needed to. Yeah, I did but that. But that was just to avoid having to use the media section. <laughs> so no, this camera yeah, is what I liked about a cinema camera, but adopts a lot of what I liked about shooting on a mirrorless camera, that it's fast and responsive and you know, it's a good shot grabber. And that's why I didn't go for the uh, red in the end is I knew I would get less good shots Mm. or I would miss more good shots. Like less good things would happen if I stayed on. Right. Your, uh, your shots might be better. You might have an image you like more um, in general, but yeah, but you'd, you would miss more shots. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, Mm. But as far as like buttons and dials. Yeah, I'm glad they're all here. They're terribly functional right now. I could use even more, to be honest. Uh, Sure, but like the (laughs) the rear thumb dial that every Canon DSLR ever has been aperture, you can't set to aperture. Oh, yeah, that's super weird. So arbitrary. It's like an iconic 
canon way of controlling a camera. Every pro body does it. And it's the only thing on this camera you can't customize. You could probably customize the power switch to do something if you wanted to. Everything <laughs> can change yeah. except the thing they've always done. That yeah, is no, maddening. And so then strange, totally. This function dial here. Are you touching the, the really small one? Yeah, the really small one that has, it's technically like has clicks, but if you that just feels hold like the camera. It's- it feels like it's broken. Like it's so loose that it's like, it, it feels, feels like, like a scroll broken. wheel that, yeah. Like on, on my mouse, I could just spin this and it keeps the, the spinning forever. Scroll. It's like, yeah. it's like that. That's exactly what it feels like. And yeah. a, no, a friend of mine borrowed this camera totally this past week for a shoot. And I didn't have aperture set up anywhere on the camera because I needed other settings more. So if I had to change my aperture, I would just, I would like open the touchscreen or whatever. Um, but that was annoying him. You take so off the lens, my bring out a screwdriver. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he remapped my button so that aperture was on the top. And then he set ISO to that function wheel. And for a day before I realized this, I knew he had changed the top. Um, <laughs> I was like baffled. Like, why am I shooting at 64 or like 10,000 ISO outside right now? <laughs> and it's because your hand just yeah. touches it and it infinitely scrolls. Yeah, it shoots off. Totally. It's no, a horrendous. I, that, that, that is bad. Horrendous. Also, style. The nipple on the back is worse than others. It's not as good as the R5 physically. Um, like no, when I don't get why they don't press just it in to select something. Thing. Yeah, it is a little bit worse and it's a more expensive camera. It's like, actually in general, this was an impression I had afterwards. I was like, I would have rather this be a slightly more expensive camera actually and just have fit and finish yes. improvements. Um, of the R5, like, yeah. Yeah, it, it, uh, I could give me, rage about this right now. Give me SDI it's instead of that. HDMI. Give me, but the, the the build of the quality. So I mean, you'll see I've got some gaff tape on the top here. Um, that's because my uh, it's to keep it all together. So it locator fall pin. No, my like uh, the sensor locator pin thing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. W- I don't know what happened. I came in here one day and it was wiggling, and so I threaded it off, and then the part it threads into just dropped into the camera. <laughs> It, it just shakes around in my camera right now. That and is I don't recall ever dropping it. I don't recall Not something anything. I want to happen. No, I don't recall something being dropped onto this. Maybe it happened when I wasn't here, you know, but even yeah. still the fact that that's already happened. And then also the screen mechanism always feels like it's going to break. Let's see if you want to hear this. Yeah. Oh, mine's that's, not doing that yet, makes, but the re- the rental one did that. Yeah. I it, never it barely, it also doesn't even close. It doesn't. The screen doesn't it's awful. close. I, You're torturing me. This, it's like three times the price of my R6 and feels like a camera that costs a third of the R6. I, and, and that's a, yeah. a frustrating thing. There's this real weirdness b- between it where it's like they kind of made a high-end pro camera in a lot of ways. Like putting that C300 mm-hmm. Mark III sensor on there this is a professional, like real professional camera. It is Netflix approved. This really for a is reason. the 1DC that we always wanted. Yeah. And like you could it's shoot, you really could caliber. shoot. Yeah. You could shoot a movie on this. Like, and oh, image sure. quality wise, it would pass as a Netflix show or whatever. Um, but it is weirdly, um, yeah, just kind of missing some of those little things that you're like, you know, the, they, they like let it be a little prosumer in a way that I don't think was helpful. Yeah, just in the build. And I, to an extent, the fact that it does have a very large chunk of the image and features of a C300, I get that corners had to be cut somewhere because it cost, I don't what, half as much 
I'm not even sure. Yeah. Um, sure. Yeah. It, so, it, you can't make it as exactly as good. Right. But I think this is what you're saying. It probably would have done better to be a more expensive camera. Yeah. Just, yeah. just to make it feel more like just a what a one D yeah. it feels like. And, yes. And have oh, that that's the perfect comparison. It looks just like a one D right. The body looks like a one DX. Right. But it feels and, like a T2 high. Yeah, no, exactly. Totally. That's an exaggeration. Anyway, just for everyone. I do, it feels I do better than a black it, magic yeah. pocket cinema camera. Sure. I'll yeah. Say, and more feels like, much more usable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so the black magic cameras, I I think they have stunning image. It's so good. I don't get why they're, you know, fifteen hundred dollar cameras. Make it three thousand. Make it yeah, four thousand and put it in a thing that feels good and is usable. This mm -hmm. camera feels a little bit like that at a higher end. So right. it's built better, but it should be built even better. Yeah. Agreed. That's a C70. Totally agreed. But, but otherwise, it's, it's the one DC I always wanted. It's a camera yeah. that I can put in normal backpacks in a way that, you know, a 1D actually can't. You need a, whatever, a pro-sized backpack. This will fit or in C200. pretty much anything. Yeah, I mean, this is, that, take that's like a game-changing thing for me. So, well, I never use the built-in. Oh, yeah. Uh, C200 top panel. Right. I always did my own build for it Wait, because of things that like that. Bag. So I could fit it in my backpack. Actually, I had a way of being able okay. to tear it down until I rigged it up. I put a cage on it and then I can't fit it in anything anymore. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, I could, but it's like the whole bag was consumed by the C200 and I just stopped traveling with it. So I'd, there, well, okay, not that I've traveled much at all, but uh, you know, I was doing jobs like good commercial jobs that were either in the States or Mexico or whatever. Like we traveled a few times and I'm like, I got to leave this at home. Like it's not going to, it's going to yeah. be a problem bringing it for this. So I brought, I like was shooting it on Sony's and can small Sony's yeah. and smaller cans. And like, yeah, why am I doing this when like, I have this big sexy thing? This will come like with me everywhere. Brought an R5, yeah. You'll yeah. bring this now. Yeah. It's, this it's is the most, cumbersome. the most no excuses camera I've ever had where it's like, it is going to work in every environment I shoot pretty much. You know, so. Yeah. And, and not to say anything necessarily about the FX three, cause that's a whole other conversation, but I'm glad they still kept with the BPA 30 and BPA 60 battery abilities. hundred percent. And they didn't do some using the LP sixes or even using two of the LP sixes. I like that. I have one battery option that keeps it small and compact and still records for three hours. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also, I just have one big battery which is my, it's always charged. If for some random reason I'm going to shoot for a full day and I only want to bring one battery, that's the one. I love being right. able to just juice the heck out of it. So I'm thinking of picking up that, um, I actually totally forget the brand name, but on BNH, there's this one other battery that has uh, oh, mm. DTAP out of the back. So you can yes. power your monitor or other USB peripherals from the same, from one battery with the C70 and no V mount, no like rails, yeah. no big extensions. Um, I'm very tempted to pick that up just to clean up the, like, especially the monitor rig. Cause with the monitor, I've got the batteries on the front. And since there's no yes. back on this camera, this camera is almost like front only. It's so shallow. So, yeah. Yeah. uh, yeah, I don't want the monitor batteries to be on the front. Put a slightly bigger battery on the back. It'll pull it back a bit. Run power to everything. Um, yeah, right. Are you are I you mean, rigging it up with anything else? Are you like? No, not much. I in fact, I pretty much threw that top handle out the second I got it. Oh, I hate that, that is top the handle. worst piece of garbage. Same I on the C two hundred. It was awful. But the um, plastic on this one, it hurts <laughs> to be near. I can it didn't walk in a room I, and I, know yeah, right yeah. away if that handle is around. 
everybody else complained about all of the plastic on this. That specifically didn't bother me too much. Um, I super really? recommend the wooden cameras, um, the wooden camera top handle. Um, okay. If you vamp for 30 seconds, I'll, I'm going to pick it up. If Oh, if I vamp. What's up, vamp? I mean, I don't know how Tyler okay, back. didn't hate that hand. Oh, you're right. You're back. <laughs> See, I've got the wooden camera one in my hand. But, um, oh, that is so much better. It's, it's like very small. Like it's, it's smaller than most handles, actually. And I've heard some people say it's a little too small for their hand. This Currently, I also have the monitor. Uh, uh, what do you call this? A joint yeah. on the front of it. But if you have just the handle, it's like itty-bitty. You can always have it in the same kit. And it just screws on to the top. Like it goes into the the circle yeah. of the um, where the cold shoe is. And now all of a sudden, you've got a top handle and like nothing else. So it's like extremely minimal. Um and basically, I'm thinking I'll have two setups where it's like either I run vlog style with a like, let's say the Deity Duo 4, whatever that's called, the new one, which I love for yeah. vlogging lately. Uh, that's like the vlog yeah, version. That's all I use really, yeah. Or I pop that off and I stick the monitor on and that's the cinema version. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's there. there is so much to love about this camera. In fact, one of the things that I actually did miss when I left the C200 for the R5, not for the R5, it was kind of a whatever that was a life decision on being a minimalist um i missed having four channel audio there are just times when i wanted to run two, you know sennheiser what are those digital wireless labs but i'd run two labs in xlr and want to have a road video mic x or something on top to have some of that some of that imagery of the sound so i had a few projects where i'd be walking with two you know talent members in a city and i want clean audio of them but i wanted to also have that ambient track just to be able to mix in and stuff so yeah it's I, just, I need to start doing that more all often, the actually. audio it's something i don't do as often as i would like to hmm. but i think in this camera that four channel audio is only some codecs and not others that might only be the uh whatever oh the yeah one. yeah yeah i think that's true i think some codecs actually lose that ability um i finally picked up a rode wireless go for the first time in my life hmm. And nice. the next day they announced the wireless go to literally the next day after my, <laughs> my, my, my mic arrived. Uh, so, uh, I mean, do you, you're welcome everybody. Is for that a me thing bringing you that on. I'm thinking of using it a lot more in the field for myself. Like when I'm doing on location audio, because there's been a lot of the times that I've been limited, like where I stand relative to the camera, I'm only close to the camera. So the mic sounds good. Like I'd rather yeah, be four yeah. feet away, but I'm like, I, well, it's noisy around here. I have to stand inches away from the mic. And that's hmm. stupid. That's not how I should be making those decisions. So, I think, I think I want to say it was Gene uh, Potato Jet's video on this, yeah. maybe on the Road Go or on the C200. One of them, he was showing how they'll often use it as an extra audio source, and they'll just put the the transmitter and the receiver on the C200, just so right. that when um, <laughs> like whoever's holding the camera at the time is talking, they have that audio because the the built-in audio on the C200 is garbage, like that scratch yeah, track. Well, and I yeah, don't even totally. think you can choose it as an audio file. So I don't think you yeah, can like, run XLRs in and have that. I like the idea of just having two mics always going on it. Like, <clears throat> I'd like to kind of have a rig version as well that has the wireless and the vlog style mic all yeah. together. But it's also got to look neat. I see too many people that like they post their rigged up version mm -hmm. and it's becoming tentacles like going in every weird direction it's like no there needs yes. to be symmetry and balance i guess right. this has i don't want to feel pick good. it up and get wires stuck in my fingers and feel <laughs> yeah, like i'm gonna yeah, totally. rip something out um yeah 
I don't know. All right. I've been, well, let's I've been be- looking everywhere to get uh, mini like right angle mini XLR cables. And right. yeah, they yeah. are. Uh, there, there's not many mini XLRs there, out there, there is a in general. Yeah, there is a company in the States. I forget what they're called. They do make them. It's like a really nice, like low profile, right angle mini XLR to like a nice thin cable to full size. It's exactly what I want. Um, they don't ship to Canada. So, okay. Now, now, now that we've gone way off topic, let's use that as an opportunity to change the topic. Um, how's it going? <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I almost want to just like talk about what is actually on, on my mind a little, and I, I don't even know how hmm. useful this is to the audience. Cause I don't know. I don't know what everybody makes that listens to this. Like I have a bit of an idea of the split between photographers and filmmakers. I've been talking about so much video lately that I'd be surprised if any photographer only listeners are sticking around. Right. But um, I also wonder how many YouTubers are out there. I want to talk about YouTube for a second because yeah. I have been frustrated with my YouTube, especially like last year. I think I was talking about this. I've talked about it a couple of times where I'm like, you know, I know I don't have a real strategy. And I think you end up in this boat too. And this ties into the yeah, one other yeah. topic that I think a thing we have in common, and I don't know if you can talk about it in detail, but is the inability to focus on things. Um, oh yeah. I'd love to talk about that like is in a personal way, but when it comes to the channel, I know it's also a bit of a problem that like when people, I'm, I don't know why people are always going to show up. You know, it's like, what's the thing that I'm always offering you? And, and every time you come by, you know, you're going to get it. And I think there isn't enough. I don't have much clarity on that. And I also know that the things that I get excited about, which are like, higher end professional video than I am, that I, then what I am currently doing. And the problem is that niche is smaller, is very narrow because like, yes, right. How many people are doing high end stuff? You know, it's not a lot. Uh, so yeah, you're that, not gonna I get shouldn't a, go a further into views that on a video. That's yeah, yeah. That's super niche. I mean, and also if you were ever yeah. going to go niche on camera stuff, too bad. Gerald London did it. He beat sure, us. Yeah, he yeah. wins. And I'm if not going to go that technical. Right I'm never going to. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm never going to do that. Yeah, if that you deep. just need to, all that, he can do it. So it's uh, like, yeah, I'm, uh, I don't know. Equally, how, how have you been feeling about YouTube lately? Um, mostly lost. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We were tweeting I, about I really, it. That's why I was like bringing it up because this was this conversation is already happening on Twitter. I think, man, I mean, this, this maybe goes a little too deep. I, I think pandemic times this last year. It's just everyone is naturally more self-reflective and we're all yeah. just either doubling down on things that we're always a little bit interested. I mean, I saw a hundred people this year be like, this is my year. I'm getting back into making music, a thing I've always been passionate about, right? You see a lot of that. Mm-hmm. I also think the inverse is happening where people are starting to wonder, hey, what is in my life that I would want to change or that could you know, use some shifting or that I would want to remove from my life? So- I think naturally, if you're a YouTuber this year, you've probably thought more about the direction of your channel than other years. I think that's safe to say, right? Yeah, and I think is a healthy thing to do. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there are some. If there's any upside to the pandemic, it's been um, that I think there has been a lot of time for reflection <laughs> for all of yeah. us um, I, and priority I sorting. Agree, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, for me, that process of a lot of self-reflection. <clears throat> has been leading to what do I want to see more of in the world, right? I know, and I've known forever, I'm not a, I'm not a entrepreneurial person. I don't, my brain doesn't go to how do I build this? My brain goes to how can I enjoy myself the most right now? It's mm-hmm. very, it's very, I don't know, selfish well, but, monkey brain. 
Another thing um, I've read and totally believe is that introspection also correlates negatively with happiness. Like spending a lot of time reflecting can definitely end up, what I had heard. The opposite of ignorance is bliss. Exactly. People that are more self-aware are more aware of the problem like you become aware of the problems yes. and yeah if you just like let things float over your head you know you feel you you do just enjoy life a little more so i would even argue that it's sadder because you realize the problems are like just things in you that are really hard to right. change like oh i'm not just sad because like i'm fighting with people i'm sad <laughs> yeah, because yeah. something about who i am starts fights right it's <laughs> totally yeah yourself it's me because it's and yeah. it makes it worse yeah, um, for sure. Or anyway. whatever specific thing. So you, this is you what I want to put on my YouTube channel. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I realized that I know there are video topics I could do that would get more views. Right. There, mm. there are safer bets and wider audiences that you can appeal to. Um, and I, and I'm actually not knocking going that route at all. I just don't know if that's the route that I want to go. And so well, to be clear, that is the route that I'm growth. thinking about. That is what I'm specifically talking about doing. So, well, and that's um, no, that's what I'm saying though. Is it's not a one way or the other. It's I think I'm sure. realizing that my personality type just doesn't lead to that. I mm-hmm. I rarely look at my analytics. I don't really think about that stuff. I just like having fun making videos, and it's yeah. I got to work on that. I do need to get smarter and better about it. But what I'm yeah, what I'm learning this year is like I want to. I want to make more videos that I want to make just because I want to make them and not just because I know there's an audience that would consume that. Well, how do you end up feeling when you make that video that you wanted to make and then inevitably you put so much extra work into it that the return on investment, that the views Hmm. are not what you would hope for and your heart sinks because like, man, this is the one I put my heart and soul into and nobody watched it. Instead, they watched that garbage that I just tossed out in 30 seconds right or is that just me i think this is universal right Right. you get a yeah every iphone portrait mode video gets a bajillion views right i didn't know that i gotta be making more of those yeah yeah you do no but you yeah yeah yeah. you're not pouring your soul into that probably i bet a few people do but i'm certainly not speaking Mm -hmm. for myself so what do you do about that i don't know i think it's important and helpful to try and disconnect your success from your actual value right? It's the more you obsess over it, the more that you're aware of those things. Mm-hmm. It, I think it just makes more sadness. I think it, it's not necessary. I mean, it can signal like you should change and there's what things that you need to fix, but it can mm-hmm. also just signal nothing, yeah. nothing at all. I, t- tough things to like recognize in, in terms of like how happy you're going to be with your work or what you do is also, you know, kind of finding those, like what, what is, what is slowing me down here? And so specifically when it comes to like YouTube viewership, I think there are people that do exactly what they want and have a great time doing it. You know, you're just talking about Gene Potato Jet. I think he loves what he does and it happens to be something that people love to watch him do. And there's, there's a lot of creators like that, right? Like their personality syncs up very well with what everybody wants to watch. Like just there's, it all comes together just right. Um, and so there are other people that are like excellent at, at doing the thing, but they're, and they love to do it, but it doesn't resonate on a wide scale and it doesn't become mm-hmm. something that everybody can rally behind. And it's like having some awareness of, um, that, you know, is your limitation that your, um, you know, you're not optimizing your, 
thumbnails and titles correctly? Or is it that like, you know, for me, like part of it's that I have always wanted a bit of my personality to not be fake high energy because there's a whole, I mean, there's a whole lot of the, the transparently inauthentic, like I'm just putting on the show and I don't actually feel very happy right now on YouTube. I mean, Um, we have performers. They're a thing that exists in society and not in just a negative way. Performing yeah. is a thing we value. Sure, and it's, it's yeah, fine yeah. that people do that on YouTube, and Whatever. it's just not a thing I want to do myself. And, but yeah. it's good. It's good when that extra energy shows up, but it doesn't always. You know, like I have to kind of be. I have to be into it. I got to. I got to have to have had three coffees first. Um, yeah. And if yeah, I, I and agree. if it's not there, then like I I don't end up liking the work. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't know how that like translates to a universal truth, but it's like it's good to yeah, be aware of those things. Mm-hmm. I, you got the I energy to, that you got the juice no i mean here here's i have the juice because i only turn the camera on when i have the juice sure right. I, I i i don't know how to put myself into that place i yeah. i'm i'm really not good at that I, so i was just saying like i have two young kids i have a, a wife we're going through renovations it's like you have days where it's just bad you woke up mm-hmm. sad or your kids are like just screaming at you for no reason. You just wake up being screamed at. And my brain goes like, well, yeah. there goes the whole day, you know, because I can't just show up the camera and be like, wah, wah, blah, right. Mm-hmm. When my mm-hmm. insides are just like, ah, or I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't, yeah. I don't always have the juice. So, okay. The other, the other thing that we have, that I, I've been thinking about and you slightly talked about it. So I have no idea how much you want to talk about this openly, but is uh yeah. sort of is attention. I mean, g- generally you'd mentioned that you were looking at ways to sort of uh, focus your attention. Uh, yeah. Potentially so, some sort of attention um, deficit issues. I don't know how you want to talk about it, but I think about this personally a lot. So the brief story, and is I'm sure that, somebody like, listening is everyone in my life forever has told me I have ADHD um, and I've had no desire to ever look into it or do anything about it because it, it I just felt fine. I felt like it wasn't negatively harming me. My business was doing okay. I felt quite happy and in a good place. So it, it didn't matter to me until um, it started to feel like it was actually harming my ability to grow as an individual, my ability to run my business, my ability to just pay attention to time and be a, you know, a dad and a husband who shows up when he says he's going to show up. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, because time is something I have a very hard time with. Uh, it's, I just lose track of it constantly. Um, so I, I had read this thread on Twitter where someone basically reframed what ADHD was to me. And my brain was like, Oh, maybe I should look into this. So I, uh, I had a meeting with a psychiatrist and then also my family doctor and ran some tests. I basically did some quizzes and they're like, yeah, you have ADHD. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So for the past two months now, um, this has been a maybe six month process to get here. Um, the past two months, I've actually been taking medication and it's been a mixed bag. I'm making a video about it. And it's probably not going to be a good video because so far all the clips are just me in the morning taking my medication. (laughs) Um, So I don't know how that's going to be a video. But I mean, even along the lines of like content that I want to make, this is something I actually want to do and is something I'd like to see more of because I think Mm -hmm. as someone who never was interested in looking at ADHD 
and then suddenly was. Um, anytime I would find videos or Twitter threads from people that had had that experience, uh, I found it incredibly helpful. And it actually yeah. made me want to learn more um, more about how I can help myself, whether that's medication or whatever, but just to be better uh, me. So yeah, I am making this sure. video and I'm excited about doing that. And I have no idea what it's going to be or how I'm going to make it, but um, no rush. Yeah. Focus. Focus is, uh, <laughs> is very hard. Yeah. Yeah. What I had done so far was I, I had the quiz with the doctor yeah. uh, and it was right before the, it was right during the beginning of the pandemic, I think it was like the first week anybody put on a mask. So I was like in a doctor's office doing a quiz and then I just didn't really go back to doctor's offices for a while. So, um, it kind of got like the idea got dropped and it wasn't as clear cut for me. It wasn't like, Oh, you're clearly ADHD. It's like, no, you've, hmm. you've got some very clear elements of it. Other things, you, you know, don't really resonate as much traditionally, but like you probably would see some pretty clear benefits from some kind of medication. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just like, I'm very hesitant to, to do any kind of medication for any reason, which is like yeah. such a big topic. Like anybody's choice to, to have, you know, introduce a new chemical into their brain is like a big decision, but I yeah. do keep thinking about it because like, I definitely can see the ways that it makes me do less or makes me less happy with my work than I could be because like, yeah, I mm. opened up, I, I did this today. I opened up Facebook because I needed to set up my ad account for a client for Instagram. And instead I browsed Facebook for about five minutes. Wasn't too bad, but it's like, then I closed Facebook. Right. I'm but like, what but the hell what was that, that for? However many times in a day. Right. And it, it does. <laughs> so many to, times. It, yeah, yeah. It compounds up. Right. Um, sure. My, my actual fear of making this video is that I understand it's a complex issue and I'm fully aware and kind of agree mm -hmm. with people on both sides. Sure. I, my general and gut is I, I don't yeah. want medication. I know I'm going to have like a somewhat addictive personality. If I were to get into video games, that's all I'm going to do. Um, so I have a fear of that. And I know that for a lot of people, medication just is what they need. And I think that we should be more positive, encouraging towards yeah. that so that the people who need help can get help. And it's, I think the people to that don't about, need help shouldn't get help. It's tough to talk about because there's so, what's the opposite of a universal truth? There's no, it's, right. it is just so different for everybody. You know, like you yep, got to figure out yourself. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the fact that we have anything in common with it, I think is helpful to, to at least bring it up. You know, like I'm sure there's other people weren't obviously we're not the only ones that have thought well, about this so this is funny when i uh i've thought this for a while it seems like a lot of people that work in our field and do similar things feel like they resonate with that so my first meeting with my family doctor who was just becoming my family doctor then she didn't know what i did she didn't know i was a youtuber mm -hmm. um and we had done the quizzes and stuff and she was like oh like you know she was yeah of course you do kind of reaction it was it was nice and it was funny um <laughs> But she was saying, like, you'll, you'll never meet somebody who has undiagnosed ADHD that's an accountant. It's just, it, it doesn't happen. And she was saying they'll almost always, if, if it's in their control anyways, right? They're not becoming accountants because they just love accounting. Um, you'll see them almost always leaning towards more artistic professions, more, more spaces where they have control. And I was like, oh, I'm a YouTuber. <laughs> And I just, I was like, I'm a walking I, I cliche. Am the, 
I know I am the epitome of like, I mean, I chose a job where I get, you to could have been a TikToker. I do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I might be next year. Who knows? Vertical. Maybe that's the future. Um, yeah. I mean, I really see it uh, like that example is so perfectly exemplified with my wife who was an accountant, uh, you know, up until, you know, we, when we started working together, started doing mm-hmm. this kind of creative stuff full time, but she is the, whatever the opposite of ADHD is. That's her, you know, like it's, right. she absolutely can focus and keep 10 things in her head at once. Um, and so awesome. I mean, it sounds so on my side, it's very helpful to have somebody around that can do that. But on her side, it's like, well, it just means I'm the one dropping the ball all the time. So, you know, I also like, I don't, I don't like that. You know, I want to be able to, um, when I sit down to do something that it's finished at the end of doing it, you know, I don't know, like that grown up stuff. I want to, yeah, I'm fully on board. And so my wife is also very much like that and it's amazing because the only reason a calendar exists in my life at all is because of her so she's so good at keeping those things in her head but the the way we i mean i think this often happens in couples where yin and yang each other Mm -hmm. is that for her keeping those things in her heads and always be thinking about like what to do in order for the things forward to line up as best as they could means she struggles sometimes to be in the present and she gets like easily anxious in the moment because a Mm -hmm. thing later needs to be dealt with, yeah. which is, you know, and that can be a downfall. Whereas I have a much easier time. It's how I lose track of time all the time, just completely being present. And that sounds like a, this sounds like I'm really being like, I'm the good one, but no, my life would probably fall apart if it wasn't for that. I have Emma and other people in my life that care enough to, you know, push me towards, being better it's I, we just need each other i don't know yeah but i wish oh, i had more of that one sweet. Yeah, yeah i mean there's you know for for anybody in a relationship it's like you, it's it's easy to like you know fall back on the like oh well you know she's better at doing the dishes so she does the dishes it's like well right maybe we should practice doing the dishes a little more you know totally uh, you're right yeah like I, yeah um by the way this no that's what i'm saying a... i need to be the the better at that that's the thing is i don't want to yeah. be the person who's just like oh the, I don't do the dishes. I'm in the moment and my moment is chips on the couch, right? That's a, that's a bad <laughs> it, person. It's worth so. mentioning that uh, how many attempts did it take us to find a date and time that we were able to record this together? Well, I, I uh, don't know. The last year. Our, our, wi- our wives, our wives should have just talked to each other and scheduled their time for us. Maybe oh my goodness. would have, would have I, happened sooner. My wife has done that with friends of mine's wives. And yep. that's kind of embarrassing. That's not a good trait of mine. This all reminds me, I'm going to, I feel like I'm, I'm running out of your time. So I'm going to leave this on, on a recommendation <laughs> that yeah. I, uh, I was watching, uh, yeah, it was just kind of into Ricky Gervais lately. And I'm like, oh yeah, he had that like Netflix show, um, afterlife. And I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know what the premise was. I, I was just like, I've oh, okay. I, I like him. He's funny. And I started watching it and basically it's, it's about him and his wife died. And he is, it's very dark and funny, obviously, but his wife died and he's basically suicidally depressed, but like going through that process of like losing the half that is keeping you going was like, wow, like it just hit me like a ton of bricks in a, in a smart, thoughtful, heartfelt Ricky Gervais kind of way. I mean, it's not just like, yeah. So if you're, if you got to be in not a bad play if you if anybody out there is like really depressed from the pandemic don't watch this but like yeah. uh if you know if you're if you're up for something just like thoughtful and uh and and funny and and um you know can also give you some warm fuzzies uh afterlife. i mean we were kind of like knocking on pretentious cinematography people it's but 
that's what they care about. You know, I think pretentious cinematographers at their best are people that want to cultivate an experience like that for you. Yeah. Right. That want you to be able to empathize with someone and see what it like contemplate what it would be like to lose the half of you that keeps you together. Totally. And I think yeah, that's, I mean, that's so the, noble. That's the point of art. I mean, like I know some people that aren't into to fiction. Actually, it's Anya's mom. Just like fiction's like mm-hmm. not her thing. She's like, you know, if it's not based on true story, yeah. or it's not a documentary. It's not interesting. And I'm like, to me, the, the argument that I've tried to make is like, you know, the point of fiction and art is it's exercise. Like it's, it's lifting weights for your brain to imagine. Yeah. Yeah. To go through like, what if this happens? What about when this happens? You know, like being more prepared for, for death of loved ones for great example. And even, you know, it's like, as you watch other people go through extreme emotional extremes, um, is like you, it prepares you for those and, and gives you more tools to be ready for when they happen. And it's not that you're learning based on what the characters do in the movie necessarily. It's much more that you imagine yourself into that role. And you're like, how would I deal with that? If, if I end up in that situation, um, and, and same with music as well. But I, I mean, I think you could probably make it like a, a good evolutionary argument for that, for, you know, being, having that imaginative flexing of your mind, helping you project forward because storytelling is it's a historical necessity and not just not just you know true stories about the past but allegories and you know fictional stories have been tools that humans forever have used and so it seems like it's probably important if we if we've you know held it up till now i think i think it's beautiful Art. The next the ne- the next social media platform that rips off stories, I think they should name the feature allegories. That'd be nice. Um, right, but you can only do actually be deep on it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, well, I'm glad we had a chance to go deep and I'm glad you finally made it back on the show, Jesse. And uh, I hope you come back again next time. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, dude. I'm glad it finally worked out after months and months. Forever. And months.